Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I want to welcome in Kevin Bowen. Kevin and Query, you hear him in the morning here on The Fan. KB, man, I, I love me some ZZ Top. Where do you stand on ZZ Top? Great uh, selection by Eddie Garrison with us today. What do you think about that? Well, per usual, Eddie Garrison always on it. Um, I, I just kind of like the look, frankly. <laughs> More than anything, I've always been curious if I could ever pull off that beard. And uh, I think the answer is no. I love that the drummer's last name is Beard, and he's the only guy that didn't have a long beard in that band. Really? I, I, I did not know that. Yeah, that is yeah. Uh, that is a bit ironic. Isn't that sensational right there? Absolutely, man. Uh, well, KB, I wanted to pick your brain here. I know you dabble with betting, and I saw this, that in-stadium sports books will be allowed at NFL stadiums. Uh, before we get to maybe some of your degenerate uh, selections over the years. What do you think about the NFL getting in bed further with gambling here? Boy, well, first, it's just such a stark contrast from where the league was. I mean, not even a handful of years ago, just a, just a couple of years ago. I, I, part of me is like, is it necessary to have that, you know, inside of arenas? I mean, or I guess in NFL case, the stadium, I mean, outside of what, you know, eight home games out of the year, um, I, I'm not sure, like, the immense need for it considering how mobile everything can be i'm sure there's an element from a you know brick and i guess mortar standpoint that it would be beneficial uh, but at the same time uh, i feel like everything can be done just from a mobile standpoint but again i know this is something that's becoming a little bit more popular in venue and stadium in arena uh, but certainly uh, the nfl and just to think back on comments roger goodell would make at league meetings Again, less than five years ago to the song and dance that they are doing now could not be more different. Kevin, any truth to the rumors that uh, you're going to be the first one to place a bet inside Lucas Oil Stadium, <laughs> a, a Tiger to win the Masters? Any, any truth to those rumors? Well, if uh, you were to tell me that I would increase his chances by winning <laughs> the tournament by 0.1%, I would uh, sprint down over to Lucas Oil Stadium and make sure that I was climbing atop the Peyton Manning statue to announce the first bet in the history of Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, so, yes, if if you were going to tell me that increases his chances by any means, Jimmy Cook, I will certainly be there. KB, my favorite degenerate bet in my uh, gambling career, it goes back to Super Bowl Forty Three. It was the Steelers and the Arizona Cardinals, and I bet on which team President Barack Obama at the time would mention first in the pregame interview that he did. And, and I got it right. Um, what is uh, one of the things on the top of your degenerate betting list over the years? Yeah, boy, that is very close to the top um, or should <laughs> rival just about anybody else. So congratulations on that, Brian. I, I would say, again, Super Bowl props would probably fit into this. Um my wife was thrilled with the opening song for Rihanna this year. I, I don't know if I'm allowed. I, well, I know I'm not allowed to say it on air, the exact um, name of the song. Uh-huh. Um, 
but I, it would follow in those lines, like Super Bowl related halftime song bets. I've been very sure of like, oh yeah, that one, you know, you can tie the analogy into the game returning after the break. And then looking back on, I'm like, Kevin, that was beyond idiotic that you ever thought that that was part of the rationale that they could have to close out the halftime show. Uh, songless. So uh, very similar to yours in a way. Uh, it would it would involve a Super Bowl profit. Yeah, probably the same for me. I mean, I, it's, it's either a coin toss or like, is the first touchdown going to be an odd number or an even number? I mean, you could always find some type of prop <laughs> bet in the Super Bowl Sunday action that's going to make you look fully degenerate. No doubt about that. No doubt. Zero whatsoever. Kev, I want to mentioned something that me and Brian discussed earlier and Eddie gave me a hard time for pumping myself up so I want to say uh, one, one handsome uh, 107.5 the fan uh, writer to another uh, uh, Brian had mentioned uh, the blog post I did for the fan midday show yesterday regarding Lamar Jackson and whether or not the Colts are actually interested in him and again this is just my opinion on it it's not something that you know I've heard like you might have uh, on the Colts beat itself but my thought was the Colts need to take a really long look in the mirror and look at if they make this fully guaranteed contract or long-term contract to Lamar Jackson from the time he signs it to the time it ends, are they Super Bowl contenders? And in my mind, because of the way they've been handcuffing themselves and what they have around him offensively, not being that much better than Baltimore, I think the answer is no. It does not make them Super Bowl contenders bringing him in. Your thoughts on that sentiment and your thoughts on the whole Lamar Jackson saga in general right now? Yeah, I think that's a good way to to look at it um i have probably always kind of sided on the i would pass on this um you know a lot of it has to do with the recent injury history you know eddie and i were talking earlier about this when you look at how lamar jackson's last two seasons have ended i think you have to look at when these injuries have occurred and where the injuries have occurred Mm -hmm. and the win is again both in the month of december the most critical moment of a season um, he's been shut down in both of those years. And the wear, it would be the body parts, and those would be a, a knee injury and an ankle injury. So you're talking about the wear and tear of an NFL season clearly getting to him, uh, getting to him in the air of, uh, of his body, which is so dynamic and is so necessary for him to be at peak Lamar Jackson level. I think it's the other thing we have to remember. You know, his lower body, his dynamic nature with his legs makes him or, or made him an MVP, and again, one of the more unique talents the game has really seen. But how long is that staying power? To me, it's not long enough, or there's too much risk in banking on that. You know, he's 26 years old, but I think Lamar Jackson at 31 will look a little bit different than other quarterbacks at 31, just in style, effectiveness, those things. Um, And I think as his legs just naturally – you know, don't become as great of a strength as they are, then that puts more pressure on him as a passer. And if you want to look at it, I mean, you you can see there are, you know, plenty of stats you can point to to where his passing has just, not majorly, but has slowly started to deteriorate. And I think if you take away the leg element or you limit it or it's not as potent as it has been, that puts more pressure on him as a thrower. And when you add all of that up, I don't think you'd be getting the return on investment, as you said, you know, maybe as many cracks Super Bowl-wise, all of those things. And it's a steep price. And I thought Jim Irsay's comments earlier in the week acknowledged that. I thought Jim Irsay kind of put some water on this fire, if it ever was even a fire. And He's Kevin Bowen from Kevin and Query. The past few years. Oh, there you go. I, I, I would say that that is something that um, I would agree with the owner on.
Sorry about that, KB. You cut out for just a second. I, and I took a leap of faith thinking, well, maybe he's not talking right now. <laughs> and you were, so I, I apologize for that. But, uh, yeah, but you know, you think about this where there's two ways you could look at it. I, you could look at it and say, man, it still is surprising. This dude has hardly any market at all. The Colts are the only team that said, I mean, he's a unique talent. We got to do our due diligence. We're interested. They're the only team. So you could look and say, that's surprising. He doesn't have a market. Or you could look at it and say, based on everything you just said, it's not shocking that many teams view it the same way. How do you look at his lack of market? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, again, the quarterbacks were so desperate for him. I mean, hell, look at Carson Wentz getting 37 chances to, you know, to be different key or have the keys to different NFL franchises. Um, I, I would say, you know, part of it is probably Lamar Jackson's demand um, without an agent as well. I mean, when you kind of add that up, I think that's a lot for an NFL franchise to go down. I, I do think there is an element of the Deshaun Watson precedent that doesn't want to be set uh, league wide, and I think Jim Irsay pointed that out maybe indirectly. Um, here earlier this week. Um, and, and again, I, I think there is a little bit of injury history. How long can you rely on him sort of question of, again, what is the staying power um, for him? Again, having said all of that, it's still shocking that you haven't seen a team yet go there. Now, do a lot of teams just view this as, why would we negotiate for Baltimore? You know, is this, is this the Pacers and DeAndre Ayton? And the Suns are just going to match, and the Pacers ended up cutting Dwayne Washington, and not to act like Dwayne Washington was some, you know, critical piece, but they weren't able to get him back, and obviously you have to clear cap space to make an offer sheet for Lamar Jackson in the NFL. I think things are a little bit tighter. Why would you do that if you know the end result is just going to be him returning to Baltimore? Because certainly John Harbaugh, I mean, his comments were he wasn't trying to create any leverage earlier this week. He was adamant that you know they want him back, they expect him to be back, all of those things. Kev, if you were in charge of a front office, or let's just say, for example, you were in charge of the Ravens, are you wanting a deal to be done before the draft? Eddie Bryan and I kind of discussed that beforehand. Are you wanting this resolution resolved before the draft? And if the answer is no, we're content where we are. We offered our non-exclusive franchise tag, and we're going to put our feet up until, you know, I guess at some point this summer. Are you in a rush to, to make something happen? Yeah, it's a good question. Um you know, obviously you would want, I think, something done, which I, I believe the deadline I think is mid-July, so something would be done before right. training camp. I mean, I don't think it's the end of the world, considering the continuity they have. I know it's a new offensive coordinator. You know, you would like him to be involved in, in, in the spring, but again, I don't think it's an absolute must. And I'm not 100% sure, I guess, where he's at physically either um, coming off the injury. Um, I would think the most critical element you would want if you're Baltimore uh, if he were to walk, would be the draft pick in 2024, which, again, two first-round picks. You know, one of those would qualify there if you waited until after this year's draft. Obviously, you wouldn't get the 2023 pick. Um, if I felt good about this quarterback class and the Colts wanted him or the Lions wanted him, you know, you would want number four. You would want number six overall to, you know, be able to, to draft that quarterback. But I point out 2024 because, you know, that to me is where you have – early talks of such generational talent at quarterback, at receiver, in next year's draft class. So that is the one piece that I think is really important. And there's no real time frame on that. You know, no matter if you, you know, if Lamar Jackson signed an offer sheet with another team and moved on in, you know, April, or if he did that in July, you know, you would still get that 2024 draft pick. That's where some of my hesitancy also comes into play with this. We were talking about this a little bit earlier. 
if, like, say, for example, the Chicago Bears, they drafted Mitchell Trubisky very high, you know, whatever, 2017, and they missed. And they were able to pivot relatively soon thereafter because they didn't have to give up, you know, massive first-round picks and send them to other teams, or they were in a cap situation that really put them way behind the eight ball, and now they're trying again with Justin Fields. If you make a move for Jackson, your ability to try again isn't going to happen anytime soon. So if he were to suffer a, a bigger injury, or again, if it continued to go down a path where you're like, man, maybe Baltimore was, was right about not giving him that long-term deal, you're giving up two first-round picks. You're going to be in a crazy difficult mm-hmm. cap situation. You can't maneuver and pivot as much as you would like to, which I think is something you have to factor in as well. He's Kevin Bowen from Kevin and Query here on The Fan. Um, you know, it's an exciting time. KB to be a Colts fan you think about everything that you have at play here they finally have a top five pick they're looking to go rookie quarterback which one do you go with should you go down that route you've got the Lamar Jackson situation it's really an exciting time how far back do you think you have to go with the Colts to find a time that was as exciting as the here and now well I I would say it's a very different excitement I mean it's it's more of um hope entry anything mm-hmm. um you know probably excitement towards like oh wow you know hopefully we'll finally commit to taking a swing at a long-term quarterback which you really haven't in the last few years obviously there's been excitement entering various off seasons over the last couple of decades more based off of hey you know our power ranking is here and we think we can go to the super bowl and we think we can win the afc south et cetera, et cetera. this excitement I think, you know, for a lot of people probably began with the firing of Frank Reich was the first admittance of that previous era was not going to get it done. And so you you finally said enough was enough. And very similar to maybe how the Pacers not necessarily fired Nate Bjorkren. Maybe it was more of a trade of Levert, a trade of Sabonis. You know, that was kind of the first admittance by that franchise of, all right, we need to go in a different direction. And again, that offers intrigue, that offers hope, um, which could be labeled, I'm sure, as excitement as well. So um, for me, it's probably just more of like, there's this immense amount of curiosity and unknown. Some of it is exciting. Some of it is probably a bit scary, but really it's a foreign time. I mean, to your earlier, to to, to the question, I guess, Brian, I I can't recall a time. I mean, Andrew Luck was obvious as the pick. Peyton Manning was obvious. Uh, Right. Truth to say was probably more obvious. I know hindsight's 2020, but you know, I, I feel like people thought he was the pick over leaf more than the other way around. I don't recall the, pay, the the Colts a month out from a draft with such a big question mark, such an obvious question mark, but yet having to dodge a couple of you know first, second, you know maybe a third quarterback choice, and then certainly once you take the guy, then it'll be all about developing him. KB, last question on my end, and, and I apologize for such a monumental moment that I, I didn't ask this earlier in our conversation. I, I Really, that's on me. That's my fault. But we talk about tough decisions to be made. Uh, you changed your Twitter profile picture for the first time in 12 years. Uh, what, it's what, Will what, Levis. What? Let me guess. It's Will the Thrill Levis. Is that it? <laughs> no, it's an updated picture of Kevin Bowen. It was an older picture of KB, and now oh, okay. it's a new picture of KB. Kev, how did that come about? I'm sure you've shared it on the morning show, but for, for our audience, obviously, we crossed paths in that regard. Uh, what went into it? Yeah. Um, well, thank you for noticing, Jimmy. I hope you haven't scrolled past, because I am a big like visual, and again, this probably shows how addicted I am to Twitter. I'm a big, like, visual identity person when I'm scrolling on Twitter where my brain is just wired to be like, oh, yeah, I know who that is. 
you know, keep scrolling, yeah. or stop, you know, and hopefully people are actually stopping. So I was always, I've always been nervous about that. Um, but my wife is rightfully so very understandably has been hounding me to do that. Um, and she's spot on with it. I'm glad that I finally listened to her. I probably should listen to her in more walks of life, but I was at the combine a few weeks ago and I ran into field Yates who I think you guys have had on. And I mean, he's been great when he's come on with us and honestly field nice relationship is more of just like occasional Twitter DM. And he sees my credential. He's like, what's up, Kevin? I can't believe that's what you look like. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm like, yeah, nice. And I'm, you know, you're a little starstruck. I mean, he's like, you know, Phil Gates is like big time. And I'm like, yeah, great to meet you or great to see you. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, I mean, your Twitter profile, it's just, it doesn't look like you necessarily. And I'm like, ah. Oh. <laughs> Gosh, I'm like, boy, this is quite the humbling moment here to be having to be told or, you know, pretty much told by, again, someone who's, I would say, high up in our little world of NFL media that, um, yeah, man, that was weird and you need to change your Twitter profile. Um, so that <laughs> combined with, again, uh, Maddie's um, urging has led to the new Twitter profile. So, uh, yeah. That's where we're at right now. So what was the old one that made it so hard to tell it was you, and how does this new one differ greatly? Well, I've certainly lost some hair. I would say the hair's got a bit grayer, and, you know, when you work with Jake Quarry for 15 hours a week and you have two <laughs> kids under the age of, you know, two and a half, that, that probably all adds to it. Um, yeah, so the, the, my old Twitter profile probably was honestly the first Twitter picture I ever had, which was, I think I was a sophomore in college maybe oh, and and like i'm not one I, I don't know how you guys are I, like i'm not big into facebook i'm not really big into like you know instagram really like i just kind of throw up a picture and all right that's going to be the picture and i'm like never really going to change it I, I i've never even like college me or post-college me never really uh, worried about that stuff and again i know it sounds weird but i got into this like hey if i keep scrolling and, like, when people have t- changed their Twitter profiles, it takes me, like, weeks and months to recognize it. So, again, that's probably more of a me Twitter issue than anything else. Um, but finally, I have grown up, and at the age of 33, I have removed 20-year-old me and put up there 33-year-old me. So, hopefully, uh, people will understand that, uh, yeah, that's what I look like. There I am. Very nice, man. Well, KB, appreciate the time, bud. Hope you have a good rest of the day. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Kev. Thank you. There he is, Kevin Bowen. Kevin and Query. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Want to welcome in Bo Estes from NBA.com, NBA TV. Man, you hear this music when he's doing his thing. I love it. This is some of the best sports music we have in the game. Where would you rank this, Bo? I know this is a terrible question to ask you because it's tied to something that you do. But if you could be completely unbiased, where would you rank that music among other sports music? <laughs> you know what? I gotta be honest. If I, if, as far as sports music goes, uh, and I, I hate to jinx this new rights deal that uh, my company Turner Sports is engaged in, I love that NBC old basketball music. Uh, but yeah, oh that, yeah, that was, human, uh, that was audio coffee I just heard right now. Bo, appreciate you making time for us. I want to dive right in in terms of 
our local angle here. We've asked this to a number of different uh, NBA guests we've had on over the last couple of weeks. I want to get your perspective as well. Pacers are in this weird territory that they've been in the last couple of weeks where are they making a push for the play-in or are they going to wind up losing and falling back of the pack and get more ping-pong balls? You look at the NBA play-in tournament, let's stick east right now because I know west is absolutely electric. But you look at the east is it beneficial for teams like the Pacers, like these smaller market teams that now have maybe an incentive in down years to make a late push? Has it been a positive? Uh, it's interesting because I used to try to do the math on what the value of a playoff spot was. You know, to each franchise is a home playoff game worth a million dollars to the team. Uh, per each. And now the plan could just be a one and done. And, you know, that throws you back in the mix for uh, the top 14 pick and all the chances that go with that. Um, where the Pacers are right now, I think I think it's a little tough to see them getting back in the mix. I think, you know, they, they've fallen back a little bit and there's a, you know, a team or two in between them. Uh, but I do think there's value in making it. I'm, I'm going to say something that, that nobody loves to hear. If you make it and you lose in the play-in, there may be some value, particularly for a team like the Pacers, who have some young guys who may need to feel that energy a little bit and may need to feel that heat. Uh, But, you know, I've I've talked to several people in the league. You want to be in that top four in each conference, so you're making a real push for a championship, or particularly this year with a guy like Victor Wembanyama, you'd love to have a shot at him too. So they are in, uh, you know, finger quotes in the air, no man's land right now. It's really interesting with what you pointed out. Wembanyama, you think about Scoot, you've got some big names in the draft. Are you surprised at all with that in mind that some teams have been sort of late? to the party in terms of shutting guys down while they're still in go-for-it mode to try to get into the play-in and then then do what once you get into the playoffs, you know? Uh, Yes, I think so. What the NBA's done is tried to tighten those odds up a little bit so that the worst of the worst teams have a better shot at getting it. But even if you have the worst record in the league, I I don't know it exactly, but I think it's it's 14.5% chance that you have of getting the number one pick. So if you did everything to lose every game in the world to get Victor Wembanyama, your shot's 14.5%, I believe. So I, the, the odds aren't great, even if it does work. But you, you mentioned, you know, if, if you're if the other guy is Scoot Henderson, oh, my gosh, Brandon Miller. There's another, you know, as far as the player goes, really talented. So there's three guys up top there. That are really good, uh, you know. To me, Victor Wembanyama. I, I, you know, as Jimmy knows, I work summer league, uh, and I talked to a lot of scouts, and Victor Wembanyama is the best prospect they saw last year uh, since LeBron James. So you're talking about an incredible, overwhelming talent, uh, and so you know the chance to get a guy like that and turn your program around in a couple of years to be one of those top four teams. Uh, is is a real opportunity for um, any sort of franchise. And the, the, you, know, you mentioned a smaller franchise. It's tough in the NBA uh, to attract free agents to, to some destination. That's just a reality. Uh, but if you can draft a guy of that level and really commit to him, you, you think you have a chance to do something like Milwaukee did with Giannis. And 
that that sort of sets your program in motion for 10, 15 years. And, and I, I think that's what a lot of these smaller market teams would love to do. Bo Estes of NBA.com and NBA Top Ten list. Nice enough to take some time with us. You can follow him on Twitter at NBA Bo. Sticking with the Pacers for just a second, Bo, they started out of the gate to start the season way ahead of anybody's expectations. And as the season unfolded, it became a little bit clearer. Well, they played a pretty favorable schedule to start the year. And yeah, they, they played lights out. They played what was in front of them. They eventually came back down to earth. They've dealt with injuries. But you mentioned the young core, the talent that's there. There weren't a ton of expectations this year, even though there was a little false promise to start. How do you preach to that for a small market fan base that feels like, yeah, we're a player or two away, but this year gave us mixed feelings from us being okay with being bad, but seeing growth over the course of a whole season? Well, it's funny because uh, if, if you've seen my picture on Twitter, you'll see my gray hair. I've been a, around a bit, <laughs> and I remember going to Indiana when they were a big player and the passion those fans had. Uh, in that arena when Indiana was making deep playoff runs and was, you know, appearing in NBA finals and stuff like that. So I, I get it. And the challenge is, you know, you, you, if you want to follow a team, you see them, they give up more points than anybody in the Eastern Conference. I think they're tied with Detroit or something at this point. So that's a frustrating thing. But I do think when you look at a guy like Tyrese Halliburton, you see a guy that you can build your franchise around, and you see the fact that he's not yet 25 years old, that he's young, that you know, you've know you got other guys who are young and making big plays. And the, you know basically you're collecting pieces at this point and hoping to point towards the future. And you've got a really, really good one in Halliburton, and you may have some others uh, depending on how it goes. What, what that means is you've got to make some decisions on folks you have and folks you may want to get rid of or folks you may want to attract to Indiana. So I think, um, you know, if I'm an Indiana Pacers fan, I'm excited, but I know that, that it's the future. It's not the now, and that's, that's what you're excited about. You know, Bo, if we put winning to the side just for a second, we know that's the most important thing. That's what gets almost all the focus. But if you just look at entertainment value, you're the perfect person to ask because you do the top 10 list for NBA.com. You see the best of the best in terms of highlights. I'm going to ask you about teams, though. Forget about wins, just entertainment value. If you're going to see one team and you're paying top dollar to see them, which is the team that you think is the most entertaining in the NBA right now? You know, you asked this question at the absolute perfect time because I just watched the Golden State Warriors come back last night in the second half against the New Orleans Pelicans. And the closest thing I can describe watching Golden State is if you've ever owned a car with a really good turbo, and when that car hits turbo, it just flies and you hardly feel like you can control it. That's what happens when Golden State really starts going. Um, they're not going like they used to go, but in those moments at that peak, they're as entertaining a team as I can imagine in the league. There are, you know, there are some other young teams that I would favor to beat them, namely the Milwaukee Bucks. I'd be in favor to beat anybody if they're healthy. Uh, but as far as just pure entertainment value, when the threes are raining down, boy, it's hard to beat the Golden State Warriors. Bo, a lot of basketball fans are in this state, and March Madness is is counting down until its conclusion here this coming Monday night. And like me, like I've been following the NBA as well, but I know I'm going to latch right on when we get into the playoffs, when we get into the postseason. Brian already asked you the most energetic team, but when you look at the top of 
the standings on either side. Is it open and shut that Milwaukee or Denver has the best chance to win it, or are you leaning more towards one of the other top four teams on either side of the conference? This is the most wide open I can remember the NBA being in quite some time. Remember, you know, we're just coming out of that era where it was Cleveland and Golden State in the finals year after year after year after year. Um, so it's it's a little more entertaining for me. I, I do. I've said it time and time again. If Milwaukee is fully healthy, I think they're the best team in the NBA. I Are they beatable? Perhaps. But if that, you know, the one thing that's tough for Golden State is to handle is size, and Milwaukee is overwhelmingly huge. Uh, so I, th- I think they would they would really do well against Golden State. But think about some of the other stories that are coming along. The Phoenix Suns, what are they going to be like when Kevin Durant comes back? I don't know that we know what's going to happen with that team. I mean, Golden State has a potential Andrew Wiggins just hanging out there. I don't know that Zion Williamson's not going to sneak back in, into the lineup. Uh, there's just so many stories out there uh, where teams could get a player back, a piece back, things could break in the right direction. Um, you know, we've got this great MVP race where three deserving candidates just sit there and wonder if their name's going to be called. So um, it's just it's a wide-open season right now. And after years and years and years of the playoffs sort of being a formality till the finals, it, it's really entertaining to me, at least. He's Bo Estes, NBA.com, NBA TV, joining us here on The Fan. Bo, I apologize. I'm going to ask you a question you could talk about for maybe two hours. And I'm going to ask you for like <laughs> two solid minutes. You know, like, okay. How many teams okay. in the East and how many teams in the West do you think are capable of getting to the finals? Okay, have your producer give me a 15-second count so I don't go long here. Uh, <laughs> let's, look at, let's look at it. Uh, I, think, I think the Milwaukee Bucks are certainly my favorite to win the NBA championship. I think they can get it done. Easy, put them in the list. The Boston Celtics are the team that's right behind them. Uh, they were in the finals last year. If they're healthy, they've added Malcolm Brogdon. That's a team that can definitely get it. The Philadelphia 76ers, James Harden is playing different this year, but at an all-star level, you know, whether he gets picked or not, uh, with a potential MVP and Joel Embiid, they can get in. Now you're getting into some teams that are going to need some breaks, uh, some some health things. You know, last year, Chris Middleton, an all-star, got hurt in the middle of the playoffs, so that allowed, in my mind, somebody else to move in and win the NBA championship. But I think the Cleveland Cavaliers could get in. Let's, let's mm. stop the list there. Let's mm-hmm. just stop it there. But Cleveland needs help. Those top three, I think, can do it. Cleveland needs help. Out West, it is nuts. Denver, yes. Phoenix, yes. Oh, I'm going to say L.A. Clippers, yes. Golden State, yes. Uh, after that, I'm just going to say no because I'm reading their name. It says Sacramento Kings. I doubt that works. <laughs> but maybe. Uh, you look at that, you take the rosters off, that, or take the jerseys off, that's a team that's playing really well. So maybe. But, uh, you know, teams that I definitely say yes to, Denver, Phoenix, Golden State, uh, Milwaukee, Boston, Philly, maybe give me Sacramento, maybe give me Cleveland. And, boy, I, I'm a real maybe on the Clippers. Uh, and I refuse to say Lakers. And if they do, oh, my gosh, that would be incredible. 
Bo, I'm going to pivot for a second and ask you a question that is not in the NBA realm, but it's something that you wow. can speak to to an extent just to get your perspective on it. Uh, quick yep. history. Slayer. Quick, Slayer, it's not right? Slayer. It's not, not Slayer. Slayer. Okay. Uh, but, but, but we can get to that at the end because I know you want to get where Bo's musical interest lies, and I think his answer will probably surprise us. But oh, wow. okay. 1983, Larry Bird becomes the first player in the NBA to get a fully guaranteed contract. In the league mm-hmm. at the time, totally foreign process, and how the became normalized in the NBA was players and agents that followed utilized Bird's example as a negotiation tactic for this needs to be the new normal in the NBA. The NFL might not be at that crossroads right now with Lamar Jackson wanting a guaranteed contract, but that is the never-ending debate is why NBA and MLB players have more fully guaranteed can the NFL ever get there? In your mind, can it? And is it as simple as one precedent being set and then f- fellow foot soldiers following in line for the NFL PA? It's tougher for the NFL to me uh, for a number of reasons. The main one being the number of roster slots they have. Uh, you know, the NBA is, mm-hmm. I think, 15, and you do the two-way spots. I think that fills it out. Uh, and then baseball is, what, half of the NFL. Yeah. So I, I think it just I think it just the numbers make it tougher. Can they get there? Sure. Uh, you've got to have a strong collective union. They have to work together to get that. And I don't know um, – you know, in the NBA for a while, and even still to this day, it's a, it's a bit of a has and a has not, have not. You know, you got guys making, you know, in the mid $40 million a year, and then you guys got guys making a million a year, and that's fine. I mean, both of those things are wonderful salaries to make. Uh, but I think, um, you know, can the NFL, with all of those young players that don't get paid nearly as much as, you know, the Patrick Mahomes of the world and what Lamar Jackson and the other guys want. Can they, can they work together uh, to get guaranteed contracts? I, I, I honestly, Jimmy, I think it's really tough. I, I got to know, Bo, because Jimmy, he, he wetted the whistle over here. What are the musical go-tos for you? Uh, again, go refer to my, uh, go refer to my uh, picture on Twitter. Look at my hair. Look at the color of it. It's a little gray. Uh, but, yeah, I, I spend a lot of time in Hawaii. I love Jack Johnson. Did somebody say player like baby comeback player? I can't believe, <laughs> I, can't believe I heard that. But, yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, Yacht Rock seems to pop up on my, uh, you know, Amazon music player quite a bit. But there's a lot. You know, you can, you can get into some 90s R&B and you can really get into a lot of rap, too. Uh, and I think, I think that just proves that I'm a product of Gen X. My tastes are all over the place. I, hey, I love that, man. I love it. You're a little eclectic. Very good. Yeah. Bo Estes, good stuff, man. Really appreciate the time and uh, love what you do with the top 10 list. Lots of energy. Uh, lots of <laughs> You make it more exciting. Really, you do. I love the way that you lay it out, man. There's nothing like two or three cups of coffee at two in the morning to give you a product. <laughs> <on> that, <guys>. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your sacrifice, yeah. Bo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Take care, fellas. You too. There he is, Bo Estes, NBA.com, NBA TV. Does the top 10 list on NBA.com.